Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the Word. Today, I want to have a conversation with you. In Proverbs, there's something called the things that belong to the wise. Praise the Lord. Proverbs 24, verses 23. He says, these things also belong to the wise. There are things that belong to people who, by reason of use, have exercised their senses to know both good and evil. When you are in your primary times of light in Christianity concerning your work, some of you who got born again many years ago, or some of you who been born again some time back, and somehow you loved the Lord from the beginning, and you started attending to his word or listening to sermons and reading your Bible or books that are advancing you in your Christian faith. As you continue growing, that's when you are amazed at how much you assumed you knew in life that you actually did not know. Salvation does that. Christianity does that. It awakens you to the reality of places, realms that are beyond that sort of opened your heart and mind to understand, I don't think that I knew this as much as I thought. I don't think that I knew life as much as I thought. So we continue growing and growing and growing. And uh, from the simplest places of revelation as it's given to us consistently, as we follow after revelation, in the end, God is giving subtlety to the simple and giving wisdom to the heart that is hungry and ready. And so knowledge, discretion comes. So as you continue aging, certain seeds start coming to you. Certain instructions by God start coming to you. And those instructions are there to mature you. However, when you get into the place of maturity, when you get to a place of wisdom, again, other instructions, certain things start coming as a result of one which is wise. So when the Bible says that these things belong to the wise, the certain truths, abilities, experiences that start attaching to you because you are not only wise in the things of God, but you love the wisdom of God. And for such a someone as today, again, is there to give you something uh, beautiful, an experience that the psalmist had in his life. In Psalms 73, the Bible says, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such that are of a clean heart. Now, you're later going to understand why the psalmist says that God is good to Israel. He says, but as for me, my feet were almost gone and my steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious of the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walked through the earth. 
Therefore his people returned hither, and waters of a full cup rang out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Wow. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until, he says, I went into the sanctuary of God and then understood their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down in destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one wakeneth, so, O Lord, when thou awakenest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins, and I realized, he says, I was foolish and ignorant as a beast before thee. Somebody shout hallelujah. <laughs> interesting conversation, interesting conversation. So the psalmist, he has a life, he's walking with God. He's dealing with God. And he looks at the wicked and then he observes their ways he observes how successful they are he observes how they do not go into the way of falling like others do now asaf observes the wicked he observes how they live he observes how they deal he observes their communities their societies their businesses how they relate with life and then realizes actually some wicked people are successful some wicked people are prosperous some wicked people are making it in life. They are corrupt. They are ungodly. They are confused. But they are healthy. And they are going on ahead in life. Things seem to be working out fine for them. And yet they are violent people. They speak wickedness. They are oppressive. They are lofty. But then he sees that they are wicked. And they are prospering. They are advancing. And he loves God, he serves God, but he's afflicted. He's suffering, he's going through pain, he's going through sorrows, he's going through tests. Things are not working for him as they should. Perhaps you're that believer, you give your tithes, you give your first fruits, you do all these kinds of things, but you have not yet seen the financial breakthrough that you expect. Then you look at the wicked guy who doesn't tithe, he doesn't give, he doesn't do anything. And they're what? Prosperous. You have a problem. You know, you're faithful in your marriage, you have kept your vows, you're doing all that is necessary as a believer to serve God. And your marriage has failed to work. And then you see a wicked fellow and their marriage is working. And you ask God, why me? Why is it that mine is not working? What have I done wrong? The, the psalmist there says that he cleansed his heart. He washed himself clean. He made sure that he was not out of order with God, nor rebellious to the ordinances of the Spirit. But then he finds that things are not working for him. Hmm? You've had questions within believers. Why is it that we are looking for money to build the church and we don't have money? And there are people in the world who have millions and billions of dollars and they are wasting it. It's not fair. You see, it's not fair. 
they're wicked, they're using that for drugs and all these kinds of things. Yet souls are dying. God, flip the world on dollars into my ministry so I can be able to preach. The world is not fair. And this conversation continues until you actually understand that the man who wrote it, Asa, the Bible says he almost fell. <laughs> he almost slipped. He says his feet were almost gone and his steps were well nigh slipped because he did not know how to reconcile what was happening with the wicked and how prosperous they were. But what we are not shown by scripture is what does it mean that his feet were almost gone? What does it mean that his steps almost slipped? What does that mean? What would that mean? What would that imply? Does it mean that he denounced God or disconnected with God? Or what does it really mean? And that's the conversation that I want us to have. He got to a point where he found himself compromising, yielding, relating, admiring, coveting the wicked. He got to a point where he wanted to be in their place. He got to a point where he wanted to yield to them. He wanted to learn of or from them. Why? Because he saw the prosperity on their lives. Now, unlike many people, this man had a certain relationship with God. He had a certain relationship with the presence of God. And so the scriptures tell us, he went into the sanctuary of the Lord. And I believe this is something that when he goes before God, he continues to inquire because he feels himself he's going into the way of the world. And then the Bible tells us God, by his infinite grace, opens his eyes to understand the end of the wicked. To understand where their end is going to come from and how it's going to happen. And when his eyes are opened, the scriptures tell us his heart was grieved and was pricked in his reign because he realized that he was foolish and ignorant and as a beast before God. He realized how foolish and ignorant he was. He realized how foolish and ignorant he was. He felt pricked. But the reason why he is able to change his mind and repent before God for his foolishness and ignorance is because God has given him the opportunity to go to the end of life and see things as they are. Somebody shout hallelujah. If you'll open again the Psalms 37 from about verses 35. He says, I have seen the wicked the Bible says in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away. This is now David, not Asaph. Yet he passed away and lo, he was not. Yeah, I sought him, but he could not be found. And verse 37 says, Mark the perfect man and behold the upright. For the end of that man is peace. What does David see? What does Asaph later learn? He also went to the end. He saw, yes, he looked at the wicked man and his power and how he was spreading himself like a green bay tree. And then he passed away one day and he was not and he disappeared, you know, and he was not seen anywhere anymore. Nothing could be seen of that man. He looked for him, but he could not find him. But then he looked at a perfect man and the Bible says he beheld that upright man's end and his end was of peace. What do these two share in common? 
Asaph went to the end of life and saw the end of things. David went to the end of life and saw the end of things. These two share one thing in common, that sometimes our ignorance and foolishness in part is as a result of not being able to have a certain place with God, to have a certain relationship with his presence enough to hear God and see the end of things. And sometimes we find ourselves admiring the things we're not supposed to admire because we don't see the end of those things. We find ourselves seeking for the things we're not supposed to be seeking for because we do not behold the end of things. What if God had given us or gives you the grace to see the end of things, to get to the end of every conversation? This is a very important aspect. Again, these things belong to the wise. What if God gives you the grace to see the end of a conversation? What if God gives you the grace to see the end of a ministry? What if God gives you the conversation to see the end of a certain relationship? The end of a certain career? The end of a certain marriage? The end of a certain commitment in life? What if God gives you the ability to see the end of your business? What if God gives you the ability to see the end of your dream and your vision and your aspirations? I'm not talking about your expectation. I'm not talking about your assumption of where you think you're going. No, the Bible says all the ways of a man seem rightful. But there are certain ways therein that are of death. Somebody shout hallelujah. What if God gives you the opportunity to see the end of everything? Years ago, many, many years ago, the Lord helped me to start seeing life from the end of things. Every time I'm praying about something, I'm praying for it from the perspective of its end. Because I don't want to judge things or relate with things based on the present experiences. Some things look gold and silver-like, but the future of them is destruction. Some things look so beautiful and attractive, but the end of it is destruction. Some things seem lowly and unattractive, but the end of them is beauty. Some things look weak, but the end of them is strength. Some things look common, but the end of them is going to create a certain uniqueness before God. And only God can give us that end. He can give us the ability and wisdom to see the end of these things. Somebody shout hallelujah. There are people right now who are suffering in their marriages. They are on the verge of divorce, about to sign those papers. Why? Because they did not see the end the beginning. There are relationships that you have built in life. You opened up certain relationships certain people that you were not supposed to have because you did not behold the end of that relationship. There are businesses that you started with people and you carried them through because you did not see the end of that business. There are decisions concerning your education that you made and in your in the best of your abilities and the purest of conscience, you met them as you felt that you could. But the end of those things was destruction. There are people who have actually made life decisions that are destructive. They have led to death of many things. Some people right now are in hospitals because they did not see the end of certain things. Some people's careers have been destroyed because they did not see the end of certain things. The book of Psalms speaks of how even the chosen are destroyed. The chosen, not the called, 
The chosen ones are destroyed because they do not see the end of life. If many of us were given the ability to see the end of things, we would make different decisions. We would see life very differently. There are people right now you're despising because you don't see the end. The people you treat the way you feel like you can because you don't see the end. There are people you are ignoring because you don't see the end. But there are also people you're giving attention that you're not supposed to be giving attention because you don't see the end. There are relationships that you're about to break and you're not supposed to break them because you don't see the end. And there are relationships that you were supposed to break but you have not broken them because you don't see the end. God has called us to live in his presence, not to visit his presence. He says, now that you live in the spirit, he says, walk in the spirit also. The Christian is not called to enter the spirit. The Christian is called to live in the spirit. At least the New Testament preacher is called to live in the spirit. But more than that, walk in the spirit. What does it mean to walk in the spirit? Participate in the activities of truth and purpose within the spirit realm. Because to live there is to have the responsibility of what is there. Somebody shout hallelujah. When God anointed you, when God called you, when God separated you, when God consecrated you for his work, and he said that you are my chosen one or you're my called vessel, that day he did not only define the course you should go, he also defined the way you should relate with the world. He defined the way you will relate with people. He defined the way you will respond to seasons and times. He defined the way you will deal with the periods of life. He defined that you should deal and walk in wisdom in that time. When the Bible says that you're not of your own, you are bought with a price. It means that you no longer have power over yourself. You no longer have power over your life. Somebody is in charge of your life and is in control of your going in and going out. And when that God tells you, break this relationship, he's saying break it. And if he's telling you, build this relationship at every cost, it doesn't matter how costly it is, build it. Why? Because he is the God of your end. The Bible says he knows the end from the beginning. But this is not a conversation that many of us have when we are in the presence of God. The end of things is a place. It's an experience that comes in the life of a believer and positions you always to walk in the wisdom of seeking the end of everything. When I was younger, spiritually, I'll not tell you when. As I grew older, I started to realize that there are certain decisions that I made, there are certain relationships that I built, there are certain places that I went because I did not see the end. Sometimes it's because of our emotional attachments. Sometimes it's because of our ignorance. Sometimes it's the innocence of immaturity. It's pure, it's innocent, it didn't seek anything wrong or out of that, but it found itself in places it was not supposed to find. But as I continued seeking and relating with God, 
over the years, I have learned, and every time the boundaries become, you know, more and more stringent for me, now I build my relationships to the end. There are people, for example, when you see Jesus Christ, don't think that when he built a relationship with Judas and called him a disciple, he did not know that Judas was going to betray him. He knew that Judas was going to betray him. So it does not mean that all the people we build relationships with are only people that are going to do us good. There are even people you know are going to mess you up one day. But sometimes, by God, you find that you build those relationships with them because there's a bigger purpose to that. Now, it's different from the man who builds a relationship and somebody messes them up because they did not know that they were going to mess them up. Those are two different people. These two have all built relationships, but one has built that relationship out of will and purpose with God, and another has built that relationship entirely out of ignorance. Are you hearing me? So I got to a point in life where I would know that this person one day could fail me. I've seen the end of that relationship. But let me walk this journey because God has told me that you have to walk this journey with this individual. You understand? But the beauty with that is you also have your wisdom. You understand? There are things that Jesus could not give Judas. You would not find Judas in the three. If you're talking about the pillars, James, Peter, and John, which seem to be the pillars, the scripture says, if he's looking for men to pray with, he can't look for Judas. But he's with him. He's a disciple. You see what I'm saying? He's among the twelve. But he cannot work with him. But he knows who he is. And so he's patient with him because he knows even in that there is something of purpose that will come out in that betrayal that is going to bring glory to God. And so for Jesus to know that Judas was a thief, and still entrust him with money. I asked God, why would you do that? And the Lord gave me an answer. He said, he beheld the heart of Judas. And he sees the weakness in this man. And he sees that by putting him next to somebody anointed, somebody called of God, he would give him the opportunity to change. And there's something perhaps in Judas that makes him think, hmm, this guy is a son of God. How can he entrust me with money when I am a thief? Or probably there's a philosopher looking at this from only a philosophical, historical story. If this man is a man of God, how would he entrust this guy with money yet he knows that he's a thief? It's called grace. Somebody shout hallelujah. It gives strength in your weakness. It imparts righteousness in your indifference. It's called the ministry of grace. So God looks at Judas and his weakness with money and he feels that let him trust him with a treasury because he wants to give him an opportunity to change, to turn. Perhaps it's through that that because he is conscious now that he's keeping the money of the Son of God, the ministry of the Son of God, maybe a certain fear would come in him, but it wasn't. And I see Jesus patient with this man. He knows what he's going to do to him, but he is trying as much as possible to see that the soul of Judas is saved. In the end, it is not. 
And that man turns. And when he turns, he betrays the Lord for money. He had a money issue. He had a money issue. You say, but why didn't Jesus help Judas? He did. He trusted him with money. The mature understand that. He trusted him with money. Sometimes God helps us by allowing us to exercise ourselves in the places of our weaknesses to even expose us to our weaknesses because he does not want to deliver you from your weakness immaturely. Let me give you an example. If somebody has a smoking issue, you see, and then they avoid the smoke and they avoid the smoke and then they say, I've been off smoking for two years because I don't hang around or I don't smell it. You see, that man is not free. That man is not free. That means the day he sits somewhere in a restaurant and something comes as and hits his nose, something will tell him, my Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? That man is not what? Free. But how do you know he's free? When he can stand next to a guy smoking and he can't smoke. He has no urge of it anymore. The appetite of it is dead. That man is free. There are times God will not deliver you simply by taking you out of the places that tempt you. Sometimes he will deliver you by leaving you in those places that tempt you, but give you the tenacity to stand in the place of temptation. Somebody shout hallelujah. And I feel that that is what he's trying to do with Judas. That's what he's trying to do with Judas. You see, but let's go back to the conversation. He saw the end of Judas. And he knew that this man was going to betray him one day. It was not a surprise for him. But at least Jesus knew. You know the beauty of doing that? It means you know how much you can trust with Judas. You know how much you can share with Judas. You know what kind of conversation you can have with Judas. And you know what kind of conversation you cannot have with Judas. These things belong to the wise. There are people that I cannot talk to a certain way because I know them. And there are people that I can open up a certain way because I also know them. But you see, the difference there is the wisdom that has seen the end of these relationships. There are appointments that I cannot give certain people. And there are appointments that I can give certain people because I see the end of that conversation. Somebody shout hallelujah. But I cannot say that everybody who makes decisions in ministry makes them with a view of the end inside. And I cannot say that many people understand what I'm saying. But this is so deep if you are to understand it. Somebody shout hallelujah. One, things don't surprise you. Okay? This is the beauty of that is you're not surprised by what people do. That's one thing. You can say, oh, I'm so shocked. Even you know, you're not shocked. But two, it helps you mature as a minister. It makes you understand how God deals with us. God is amazing in his dealings with the sons of men. He knows that this man is going to mess up ministry one day, but he still anoints him. Some change. Some turn. For some, he sees the end and he knows no. I think for some, it's a journey. You see? For some, it's a journey. And you know, okay, this fellow in the walk is going to mess up. I know. But I see the end that it shall be restored. And what do you do? You endure. Because some tests in life were meant to come. No prayer was made to take them away. There are certain mistakes we make in life and we were supposed to make them. Again, like I said, not many people are able to understand this. 
But there are certain errors we make in life. We were meant to make them. They were in the perfect will of God. He observed them and he knew this was my purpose for this person. I knew that they were going to mess up. He comes to Peter and he says, Simon, Simon. He says, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. He's praying. He's in the place of prayer. And then he sees a man's journey. And then he says, I see that Satan has desired you. He wants to sift you as wheat. And as Jesus wants to rebuke Satan off Peter in his intercession, because again, every man of God must know how to pray for his disciples. I pray for all of you. I pray for all of you. And many of you by name. So, I feel that the heart in him of redemption wants to say, now I'm going to rebuke. The man in him wants to rebuke the spirit that is coming to sift Peter. And we see the Spirit of God leading Jesus into another heart of prayer. And then we hear him say, But I have prayed for thee, that your faith fail thee not. For when thou art restored or converted, you shall strengthen your brethren. So he sees the end of this man. He has gone beyond what this man will do. And then he gets to the end of that restoration. And that one point... Certain brethren are going to fall and the voice and authority that will be needed in that time will be Peter. But perhaps maybe if Peter doesn't go through this process, he might not be able to restore them. He might judge them. <laughs> you see how God is amazing? So he says, you know, let me let this sifting go and only pray for this one thing, that his faith fail him not. That was serious. Because if you have to get to a point where a man is sifted to a point where his faith could fail him, that should have been a big test. Somebody shout hallelujah. But he leaves him to go the way that he should go. He says, let me wait for that sifting. And the sifting takes place in the life of Peter. We're not showed what sifting it is. But all we know is that it happens at one point. And at one point after the restoration, let me imagine the brethren of Peter who are seeing him in that sifting and have started to judge him. Yet they are not aware that at one point they are going to be the same very people. Peter is going to come for. You see the end. You see the end. Now imagine if these people were able to behold the end. Imagine if the brethren of Peter, in the time he's sifted, in the time he's tried, in the time he's weighed, I don't know what he went through. But anything could have happened to him. The Bible doesn't tell us so much detail about that. But imagine a man looking at Peter going through things and he's like, hmm, and he's a man of God. And he's born again. Can you imagine? And he's a pastor. Imagine, of all people, he's a pastor. He's a prophet. He's an apostle. I don't even believe in these things of churches. Eh? And then some people even say, if Pastor Gundi can do that, I've left salvation. Somebody compares the sovereignty of the Christian life with the weakness of one Christian. And they denounce the whole faith. <laughs> oh, bradele kotile bade. God deliver us. God deliver us. Is what I said. Now, listen. I could see a man judging Peter at that point. Saying, hmm, that brother, look at what they're going through. And perhaps even creating, you know, conversations about the indifference of this individual. Yet, he is in the perfect will. Before God, there is even an intercession of the Spirit of Christ that has undergirded him within that weakness and process. 
but you don't see the end. And that man or woman one day is restored. And as the sand, you know, wastes time or counts time, one day, things go around and you get through the same situation, even worse. But you burnt the bridge of your deliverance because you did not see the end. You burnt the authority that was graced for that dispensation to deliver you. You see that? It's either to the grace of now, Peter, to say, you know, you spoke about me, but I'm the one available to help you. Or to say, you know what? I don't think I can help that individual. Or some people, even in their trouble, they still do not know where they help or who God has sent for their help. And so you go through life trouble. There are people in the world right now who are fighting things that cannot leave them because they cannot even locate the hand that should deliver them. God has put it somewhere in the world. But perhaps they burnt that bridge and judged it one day. Why? They don't see the end of things. Now, how does a man pray for that kind of thing? Because these are not things that we are able to explain to people when they understand them on first mention. These are things that life should teach you. There are people who treated us so badly years ago. There's a person one day uh, in my former experiences. This person treated me so bad, so, so bad, and troubled me so much, and I went for prayer. And when I went to pray, the Lord tells me, keep your heart of love toward this individual. He told me, because one day they will need your help. They're going to be the only one to help you at that point. And so my heart felt, let me forgive them. In spite of all they had done, oh my goodness, God is amazing. Even if it takes 20 years, even if it takes 15 years, his word comes to pass. Lo and behold, many years later when I had long forgotten, the Lord tells me, now is the time to help that individual. I had a very clear vision. You see what I'm saying? And I reached out to that individual and they needed my help <laughs> beyond words I could ever express. This is many years later. Many years later. When we've even long forgotten. When I saw that opening, I got everything within my power to do and I helped that individual. Why? Because if the essence of God in them is still alive. That should be their time of conversion. Why? Because they would look back and look at who they crucified and he has come back to save them and perhaps come to the knowledge of the truth. That is how we save men. But I saw this many years ago. There are people I look at and I know they will come back one day. I know it. It will take five years, six years, 20 years, 30 years. But they will. And some, maybe I'll be available. Maybe I don't, I don't know. But I know that they will because I've seen the end of them. I don't know because I'm a man of God. It's so easy for me to look at an individual and know that this person is in trouble. I know it. It can take 15 years. It can take 5 years. It can take 20 years. But I have never been wrong when I've seen into a man's life. I've never been wrong. I've never been wrong when I speak about a man's destiny. You know that. If you've walked with me, you know it. That's why I'm very, very controlling when it comes to my tongue. I know the things that come out of my spirit and what they can do. 
But it is because I've had the opportunity to see the end. And sometimes when I see the end of life, I laugh. Because some of the things some of you call important, they're not going to be important in 10 years. It's like when you walk into school, you know, I was talking to one of my adopted sons. And then <laughs> he went on and says, you know what, Dad? I'm going for prom. I say, what? I'm going for prom. And then he starts telling me conversations about prom. <laughs> Those of you in Uganda, sosh. Anyway, tells me about prom. And then <laughs> I was carried in a vision. And I saw this young man and I saw things. And then the Lord told me, remind him this when he's about 30. And I'll remind him something. Because I know that point where, <laughs> do you know those moments? I remember high school. Huh? Somebody falls in love with this guy. She feels like she can't live without him. She even gets a tattoo of his name on the back. Wah! Derek. And before you know that, <laughs> two years later, Derek dumps her and she stays with a name here. <laughs> and some tattoos are so hard to remove. And then they start hiding it every time. You know, when they're playing sports, you see Derek and says, who is Derek? Don't even talk to me. So they start to carry a name of somebody. They hate some of them in their love life. That day she saw the love symbol so beautiful and she put it on her, you know, her neck or her hand and, you know, and heart at that point. And they even put an arrow through the heart. And they put a tattoo. 17. <laughs> you understand? Now she started to and now she starts to dress longer clothes. Why? Because she doesn't want anyone to see <laughs> her times of madness. If she had seen the end. Some people, if they had seen the end, they would not even be crying over some relationships. They would chuck you and you start dancing. Are you hearing me? Some people, if they saw the end, they would fire them and they start dancing. Some people, if they saw the end, they would be denied a visa and they go back home and start singing and thanking God that they were denied a visa. Not every opportunity that was denied you was denied you by the devil. You just need the grace to see the end of things. You just need that grace. Your eyes will open to a lot. It is very painful. When you see, for example, two people building a relationship, you know those things? I'll love you until I die. <laughs> and it happens to me a lot because when I said to see this thing, when I said to hear God a certain way, especially in my university days, mostly, I started to see ends. It's scary because I could see deaths. I've seen many people die before they do. I've seen many people go into trouble before they do. And some I'm able to change and some you pray and God tells you, uh, uh, this is not for your change, this is for the knowledge of God. Why did you tell me? He tells you, no, I know you can handle it. But then when you seek instruction over around it, you start to see again your part and why that is very important. It's something I don't think many people can relate with, but some of you as you continue to grow in God, you will have experiences where something happens to somebody or an event happens, you're like, I had a feeling this was going to happen. You know what that means? It means God had started to open you up to the end of certain things. And it's so painful when you can pray and fast for an individual and they're not able to change. One time we're in university, we're praising God in fellowship. It's so interesting. This thing on me has been there for so long. I remember we used to live in a certain hostel 
And so I used to call some people to come to pray with us. And so we got into this little hostel. And man, it filled. It filled to the brim. It filled all the, all the beds were full. The carpet was full. Suddenly, me, I did not know yet what it was. And uh, so we start praising and singing. And then there's this girl opposite us. And uh, she's disturbed by our noises. So she gets a radio. And she puts it a hundred. Boo, 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 boo. It's so loud. And now I have a roommate. He's like the Peter. It was called Sam. He's like a Peter. He's the kind who will first cut off an ear and then we talk. You understand? So he got angry. He goes to her and says, how can you put on music when we are worshipping God? Now a new fire had come. You understand? So the spirit tells me, go call out Sam. I call, call him out. I say, come. Call him back. So I sit with him and she's playing all this loud music. And I bow my head like this. And tears start rolling down my heart. And I say, God, this dear girl doesn't know what she's doing to herself. She's fighting you. And she doesn't know. So tears roll down my heart. As I'm doing that, I see a vision and she's born again. One day. Very clear vision. She was born again. I see myself meet her years later and she's born again. And when that vision comes, immediately, I tell these guys, you know what? Let us let her play. One day she'll remember this day and I'll remind her. Mama, it was about what? Eight years later? I'm going to preach somebody, and guess who taps me on the back? Pa, pa, pa. I turn. Poso. I said, oh my God, she's tongue speaking now. Somebody shout hallelujah. What if we had sent fire and brimstone to her judgment and death? You see how we had lost the soul? But her life was changed and transformed over the years, and God required the patience of a person who sees the end. So the people whose end you see will not change. And he will tell you, no, invest anyway. Because on that day, I don't want them to have an excuse that someone was not in my life to do this. But there are also people who God will show you that they are crazy, they are all these things, but they will change. And many of you, some of you, if you can count the things I've kept up with you, but look at how you've turned out. Look at how you've turned out. Somebody shout hallelujah. Because somebody was able to behold your end and because he did that, he was patient in your indifference. You don't abuse that. You don't take that for granted. You don't take that for granted because there are people who even take that patience for granted and assume that we don't know, hear, or understand the things of God. Are you hearing me? And that is why some of you in your madness, we appointed you in places that were sensitive. In your madness. Because we knew that there was something on your life the world needed to see. And thank God that you have. Now, the challenge with Asaph here, Asaph is struggling in his life. He's almost slipping off into destruction because his eyes cannot see the end of the wicked. And what happens in this? How has his feet slipped? He gets to a point and finds himself compromising. He finds himself admiring and coveting. He finds himself trying to build relationships with the wicked because he sees their prosperity. Let me teach you this. If you find yourself admiring anybody who is not born again, doesn't matter what they have, it's not always about what they have and what you see in them. It's about what is broken in you. That is what the Bible calls falling before the wicked. A righteous man falling before the wicked. Proverbs 25 verses 26 says it. 
if you read from the Amplified, he says, like a muddied fountain, like a polluted spring, is a righteous man who yields or falls down and compromises his integrity before the wicked. If you put it in the KJV, he speaks of a troubled fountain and a corrupt spring. When the fountain is troubled and the spring is corrupted, you will find yourself yielding, you know, submitting, compromising, and building relationships with the wicked because you do not understand or see the end of the wicked man. And some people's relationships have said, the ones they have built are for their destruction, but they do not know. Let me tell you, when you come born again, your course is defined. You don't walk with everybody. You don't eat with everybody. You don't have a conversation with everybody, except there is purpose. That's why I've always told people that wherever there are concessions in life, yieldings in life, without purpose, then your spring is corrupt. Your fountain is troubled. Did you hear that? Wherever there are concessions or yieldings without purpose, something in you is corrupt. And something in you is out of order and it's in a certain trouble. You just don't yet understand it. These things belong to the wise. It's not always about who they're attracted to. It's always about what is in them that makes them get attracted to slanderers. What is in you? that makes you build a relationship with a gossiper? What is in you that makes you build a relationship with somebody who speaks against men of God? What is in you that sort of makes you build a relationship with a whore? What is in you that always makes you build a relationship with a guy in the club and you find that you cannot relate to people who are born again, but you find yourself walking to people who cannot build you? What is that thing? What is broken in you? You need to search yourself. It's not about them. It's not about them. It's about you. Do you know, sometimes as a pastor, I've observed from afar, and I'm like, but how come this person is working with this individual? Because there are people I don't expect to work with, certain people. You understand? You see someone, they're a work in progress, and you see what's on their life, and you say, eh, God help, because you see the end. And then you see an innocent person starting to work, and you're like, what? You understand? Like, how did this relationship connect? How did they build this? When was it built? You understand what I'm saying? And then you're like, this is so sad. And then that's the day you're opened. Sometimes you think, they shouldn't. No, no, no. What is in this individual that built a relationship with somebody who scoffs at the Lord's anointing, with somebody who speaks evil about the brethren, with somebody who slanders ministries and ministers, with somebody who sets himself against the cause that they should go. The Bible says, blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners or sitteth in the seat of scoffers. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and night and day therein does he meditate. He says, that man shall be as a tree that is planted by the riverside, and his leaves shall not wither, and he shall bring forth fruit in his season. The Bible says, and whatsoever he doeth, it shall prosper. So they ask themselves, why aren't I prosperous? Maybe you sit in the wrong council. Some of you are struggling financially. You're struggling in your marriages. You're struggling in your career because you're relating with the wrong people. You're walking in the council of the ungodly. You're standing in the way of sinners. You're sitting in the seat of the scornful. Build relationships whose end you see. And if peradventure God will give you wisdom to see that they'll fall and return, be patient with them. 
she sees the end and tells you this one will not turn, but anyway, I've put them in your life for a purpose. You'll be amazed at how much wisdom you will apply when you're dealing with those individuals. These things belong to the wise. Raise your voice and speak to God. Father, we thank you for the word tonight. Thank you because you have spoken to us. Thank you because you're growing us. Thank you, God, because you're building us. Thank you, God, because you're establishing us. And I believe that our lives cannot remain the same again. In Jesus' name, give the Lord a mind of praise. Now, I want to give you an opportunity, for those of you who have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to receive him as your personal Lord and Savior. Jesus shed his blood for you. The Bible says there is no name under the earth by which men are saved, save the name of Jesus. Just repeat these words after me. In simplicity, say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you shed your blood for my sins and was raised for my glory. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I'm born again. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest. <laughs>